So if you've been with us in our study over the last uh, several weeks, and we know that Paul in this epistle has been talking about his ministry to the Christians there in Corinth, and he was particularly addressing those who were coming against Paul. What they were doing is they were saying that Paul really doesn't have apostolic authority. They were undermining his ministry and, and the gospel message that he had brought to the people of Corinth. And what these, these individuals were doing is they were saying his appearance is weak and his speech is unimpressive. And you see, as you've been with us in our study of this epistle, we have seen that Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth he had very much a concern for them. And the reason was, is because they were receiving those that were not only putting him down and questioning his apostolic authority, they, they were coming in and they were saying that we are the most eminent apostles and, and don't believe Paul, don't look to him, he's just a tent maker. His physical appearance is weak and uh, his speech unimpressive and we are the most eminent or that is uh, we are the super apostles if you would. And in reality as Paul begins to address those false apostles and that's what he calls them. Those, those ones who are claiming to be most eminent apostles, Paul is very direct and he says they're false apostles. And you recall that we saw last week as Paul wrote in verse 13 of the chapter that they are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And Paul had been writing about them and, and why they were false and why they're deceptive and why they're counterfeit. And it was very important for us to look at that and consider that here at Calvary Chapel 2,000 years later because we know that this letter is written to us and we are to, to make application. We are to heed the, the warnings that are given here in this book that we might be right in our relationship with the Lord and with each other as well. And so we know that today that there are those who will come on the scene in the church at large and they will claim to have special knowledge. They will claim to have unique revelation. They will come along and they will say that we're super apostles and prophets and listen to us and we need to listen to them because oftentimes when they come along and say we have a new revelation or we have this, this new uh, you know, spirit or this new gospel, it is false, it's deceptive and oftentimes it's just plain weird. And Paul, who was warning the Christians about those guys, told us in his letter that those false apostles that are coming into the congregation that you are receiving, sure they have image, they, their appearance is, is, looks really good, and their speech was smooth and very finesse and sophisticated. And they said, don't listen to Paul because he's such a, a base-looking guy and his speech is contemptible. He's unimpressive. You need to look, listen to us. And they were charging the people for speaking to them. And they were taking the Corinthians away from the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel that Paul had brought to them, that he brought to them free of charge. Because the gospel message is free of charge given to us. Salvation is a free gift given to you and me who embrace the gospel. Paul was willing to make tents while he was in Corinth, not burdening the people. And so Paul is addressing all of that, and he says, what these guys are doing is they are bringing you under bondage. They are bringing you another spirit. They are bringing you uh, another gospel. They're bringing another Jesus, whom we have not preached, verses 3 and 4. And they were bringing their legalistic rules and regulations, as we saw. 
And as we have listened into the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, we see that he has such a heart for the people there. He had the heart of a father. Paul was that way to the churches that he ministered to. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, those, those early epistles, he would say to that church, we didn't seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, he writes. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also your own lives. So Paul's concern wasn't just with himself. He wasn't trying to impress with image or with speech, but his love and concern and jealousy was for the Christians. And he wanted them to walk in truth. He wanted them to be established in truth and in the gospel which he had preached to them. And he wanted them and he desired for them to walk in purity. I want to present you, as we saw in this chapter, as a chaste virgin to Christ, verse 2. So beware of those who are coming into the congregation and they bring this corruption and they bring this deception and they bring another Jesus. And so those are some of the things that we have seen that the apostle has focused on in this chapter. And we ended last time with Paul discussing his own ministry. He lists all of the very difficult and painful things that he has endured up to this point in ministry. Very much he went through tribulation and persecution and it would continue after he writes this epistle to them we saw that he describes how he's been beaten with rods he's been flogged five times and thrown in prison he's been shipwrecked and ended up floating around in the mediterranean sea he was often cold and slept little and would go hungry and as he tells us of the things that he went through and they were tremendous things tremendous difficulties and persecution. He said, that's beside the point. My real concern is for the churches. He is telling us that those beatings and difficulties, as hard as they are, they're nothing in comparison for what I feel in my heart for you, Corinthian Christians, and for all the churches, as we read in verse 28. That's the heart of a true minister of God. That's the heart of a shepherd that God has raised up to feed his people with knowledge and with understanding. And so we have seen that in chapter 11 so far that Paul is showing them that he is a father to them in the faith. I have a deep concern for you. And so this morning as we finish the chapter, let's pick it up at verse 30 as we read in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. And so Paul, in a sense, was reluctant as we know to talk about his ministry because he didn't want the attention to be on him he wanted the attention to be on jesus but because there are those who are criticizing him and questioning his ministry and his message he felt that it was necessary to talk about his ministry because him bringing the gospel the message of the gospel was being hindered at this time by those false apostles and so he says here in verse 30 that if I must boast, that is, if I'm going to talk about my credentials, if you're not satisfied by what I went through on behalf of you, if you are still asking me to credential my ministry and to prove my authority, if I'm going to boast, then I'm going to boast concerning my affirmities. I'm not going to boast in how impressive my 
oratorical skill is or how much of a scholar that I am or how great of a thinker that I am, but I'm going to boast to you, talk to you about my infirmity. And then as we finish reading the chapter in verse 31, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aratus, the king, was guarding the city of Damascus with the garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. And so this kind of intrigues me when, when you stop and think about this because of all the infirmities that Paul went through in which he could talk about or he could discuss and bring up, why would Paul pick this event, which is recorded for us, of course, in the book of Acts in chapter 9? Paul, you're the one that has been stoned and left for dead. You're the apostle that has had the scourge on your back five different times, 39 lashes you took. Paul, you're the one that has been beaten by rods. You're the one that has a body that is black and blue and scarred and, and that has gone through so much brokenness, literally, because of what you've gone through for the cause of Christ. You've been thrown in jail. You've been cast into the open sea. And Paul, you're saying that the infirmity that you're going to boast in was being let down in a basket through a window at night in order to escape the garrison of Damascus? Now, I think, why would Paul mention this particular account? Well, I want us to consider something this morning that I hope that is a blessing and, and I think worth considering. Again, Paul referring to a point in his life that we read about in Acts chapter 9. It's a portion of scripture that many of you, you're very familiar with it. It concerns the conversion of Paul as he was on his way to Damascus. And you know that Paul at that time, he of course was known as Saul. He was the Pharisee of Pharisee. He had been persecuting the Christians heavily as we know from Acts chapter 8. Matter of fact, it says that he was causing havoc on the Christians there in Jerusalem. And what that literally means, the wording havoc, is like he was a crazed animal that was, you know, out of control, that was pulling Christians out of their homes. And he was putting them on trial and putting them in prison. And he was having some of them put to death. That's what he was doing. And at that time, the Christians being persecuted would begin to fan out throughout Samaria and, and Judea and the parts of the empire because of the persecution that Paul had brought to them. And so he's heavily persecuting the Christians, Acts chapter 8. And that was his intention when he started out for Damascus. He's going to go there to persecute the believers, believers there, but on his way, he sees a light, doesn't he? Literally. He was knocked to the ground and the Lord confronted him and Paul was converted immediately. And Paul would respond by saying, what would you have me to do, Lord? And Paul was blinded at that time. He could not see. So they led Paul by the hand back to the city of Damascus, where he stayed at a house that belonged to a man named Judas. And in the meantime, as Paul is there in Damascus, he's at the home of Judas. He's blinded. He is praying. There was a man that was also in Damascus that was a prophet. His name was Ananias. And the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to arise and go to the street that is called Straight and put your hand on Paul that he might receive his sight. And so Ananias, he heard the Lord and he answered the Lord saying that, Lord, I don't know about this. 
I don't know about this guy Paul or Saul at that time. I've heard of how much he has brought harm and persecution to the saints in Jerusalem. And Lord, I know that he has authority from the chief priests to come here to Damascus and to arrest us and take us away. We who are Christians. And the Lord said to Ananias, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I must show him many things which he must suffer for my namesake. And so Ananias went to the street called Straight, and he went to the house of Judas, and he, he laid his hands on Saul, or that is Paul. And Paul received his sight, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We're also told in that chapter that, as I just read it to you, that Paul's primary ministry was to be to the Gentiles. We know that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Yes, he's going to bear my name before some kings and some Jews, but his primary ministry was to the Gentiles. Now, after Paul received his sight there in Damascus, as Acts chapter 9 continues to tell us, that Paul immediately makes a beeline to the synagogue there in Damascus. And who's in the synagogue? Well, it's the Jews. And you see, as we read the book of Acts, we read uh, also in his epistles, like his letters to the Romans in Romans chapter 9. We know that Paul had such a heart for his countrymen, the Jews. And I'm sure that Paul thought that he could really reach the Jews for Jesus. I mean, he, he was one that desired to do that. He probably thought that I'm a great instrument and person to do that because I know how they think. I am a Pharisee of Pharisee. I know that my testimony is going to be powerful. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the greatest teacher of the law in Jewish history. And Lord, when they see how I was at one time persecuting the Christians and how I was converted radically, and you're going to have a powerful instrument for the cause of Christ. And it seemed to make sense logically. Paul seemed to have all the tools and the gifts and the background and the testimony. He had a heart for his countrymen, Romans chapter 9, as I mentioned to you. He writes there, for I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brother and my countrymen according to the flesh. Paul was so concerned and had such a heart and a love for his countrymen, the Jews, that he was willing to be accursed, to go to hell that they might be saved. So Paul, after his conversion, after he receives his sight, he heads for the synagogue there in Damascus, and Paul preaches Christ. The Jews were amazed. They, they were saying, isn't this Saul who destroyed and killed those who called on the name of Jesus? Isn't that why he came to Damascus? That he might do the same thing and persecute the, the ones who call upon Jesus. And now he's preaching Jesus to us in the synagogue. They were amazed. They were confounded, but they were not converted. They were here hearing these things. They didn't receive Paul. So Paul takes off to the desert. He takes off to the wilderness, it tells us, of Arabia. The desert of Arabia is hot and it's dry and it's brutal terrain. And he's there for three years. He's studying the scriptures there. He's there for three long years in the desert. And he's being schooled. He's being tutored. The Lord is teaching him. In Galatians chapter 1, he says, The gospel that I bring to you wasn't revealed to me by men. It was revealed to me by Jesus Christ. And you see, Paul, he didn't have a THD from a 
prestigious seminary. He didn't have a doctorate of divinity from uh, a school of theology, but his THD was a doctrine of the wilderness. Came from being one that studied in the desert. And Paul was there in dry times, but yet the Lord was ministering to him and teaching him. And I just suspect that in those three years that Paul, as he's in the desert there, as he's studying the scriptures, that there were days, perhaps even weeks, perhaps, that, that in that three years that Paul was wondering in his heart, why am I here? Why am I in this hot, dusty place? Why am, in, am I here in this nowhere land? And you see, oftentimes we will have those questions when the Lord puts us in a dry, dusty place spiritually and he's teaching us and he's showing us stuff. And Paul perhaps was feeling like, I'm getting nowhere. Maybe you're there in that place. Maybe as you're here in this place, you feel like that you're in the desert spiritually. You're dry. You think, here it is another week. It's another month or perhaps another year has passed by and I feel like I'm getting nowhere. Things are not working out the way that I thought that they should or they could. It's dry in my life right now. Why is it happening? Why is it seems like it's taken so long, Lord? Why is it so barren right now? And if you are there in that place, I want to encourage you this morning. If you find yourself saying that, just allow the Lord to teach you and to minister to you and to know that in due time, you're going to find yourself being refreshed. You see, Paul, he's in that desert for three years. This, this man who's a genius, really, he's an Old Testament scholar. He's an incredible thinker. And after those three years in Arabia, increasing in strength and in knowledge, he heads back to Damascus. He goes back to that synagogue. He confounded the Jews once again in that synagogue, proving that Jesus is the Christ, is what Acts chapter 9 tells us. He confounded them, but again, he didn't convert them. And the Jews in Damascus... Were they impressed by Paul? Well, they were so impressed with Paul, they wanted to kill him is what they wanted to do. They were so impressed with him, they said, we're going to put him to death, and they plotted to kill Paul. Can you imagine what was going through Paul's mind? Put yourself in his situation. Here is an amazing conversion. The Lord commissioned him to ministry. He has a love and a heart for the Jews, his own brethren. He comes to Christ. He goes to the synagogue. He preaches. They don't listen to him. So he takes off for three years to the deserts of Arabia to increase in his knowledge of the word, to be tutored by the greatest teacher, and that is the Lord. He comes back to Damascus, and Acts chapter 9, verse 22, it reads that Paul proved to them in that synagogue that Jesus is the Christ. They're just amazed, they're impressed, but you see, they're not converted, and they end up being agitated. And it, they end up deciding that we're going to kill you, Paul. And I just wonder, as, as Paul is going through that, if he didn't think that perhaps... Perhaps as we consider it, that he's disappointed. You think Paul that was a little bit bummed out? I just wonder if Paul thought that revival would break out when he came back to them and spoke to them. I mean, the airtightness of his logic, his, his testimony, but all it did was make them say, hey, we're going to kill you, Paul. So here they are looking for Paul in Damascus. 
and they plan and plot to kill Paul. That plan is made known to the Christians and then made known to Paul. So Paul, we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 25, at night he was let down through the wall in a large basket and Paul escaped. And I think that at this time that Paul indeed was let down literally in a basket, but also that perhaps he was let down in his heart. He was probably thinking, I don't understand, Lord. And why is this happening? Why aren't they responding to me? Why are they desiring to kill me? And now I find myself being let down in a basket. But also, perhaps he was saying, I'm let down in my heart. And I know that maybe some of us, or perhaps many of us, that we've gone through life where things haven't worked out the way that we thought that they should or they could, and we get let down in our hearts. We think, Lord, you know what? You aren't listening. Lord, are you there? Lord, do you even care? And, and we're at a place where our hearts sink. So Paul, he's, I'm sure, disappointed, and he goes then to Jerusalem. He goes to the holy city, heart sick, let down, probably wondering what's the deal. I so desperately want to minister to the Jews. He goes to Jerusalem. He joins up with the disciples there. And of course, they hold him out at arm's length. They are cautious of him. Uh, their guards are up. They don't want to receive him because they're afraid of him. I mean, here is Paul sitting with those whose husbands and brothers and sisters have been thrown in prison or killed because of Paul. So Barnabas, the son of consolation, that's what his name means, he goes and he sees the apostles and he says, hey, this, this Paul, he's on the up and up. He saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. He proclaimed the, the name of the Lord very boldly in Damascus. Truly, he's a new creation, born again by the Spirit of God. And so Paul then decides that he's going to go into the synagogue in Jerusalem. And this time, he's going to preach to the Hellenist Jews. Those are the Jews that follow the Greek culture. So he's getting a little bit closer to the ministry to the Gentiles, just like the Lord proclaimed and called him to do. Hey, I won't go to the Hebrew Jews this time, the real spiritual ones there, but I'll go to the ones that are kind of considered backslidden, if you would, the Grecians, uh, the ones who are enamored with the Greek culture and, and adopt the Greek culture. I'll, I'll go to them, and they're not quite so uptight, and that'll be easier. I'm getting a little closer to what you've told me to do, Lord. I'm getting a little bit closer to the ministry to the Gentiles. I'll minister to the Jews that follow the Gentile customs. I don't know if Paul was doing this just because he thought, well, maybe it will be easier, or, Lord, this is a little bit closer to the ministry that you've called me to do, but I do know this, that there are times as Christians, if we're not careful, that God has put a calling on our hearts, and he's called us to do something, and, and we say, okay, Lord, I hear you, but I want to do things my way. I still want to do my thing. So, Lord, let's compromise here, or let's kind of make a deal here. And, and if you do that, you're going to find that the Lord doesn't do that. He doesn't make deals. He, he, he doesn't play games. He doesn't want you just doing your own thing. What he wants is he wants us to die to our thing. And he wants us to submit totally to him. So what does Paul do to the, the, as he speaks to the Hellenist Jews? Well, he does, and they try to kill him, and... That's what's going to happen to any of us. 
if we decide to do things in our own way. Oh, not being killed literally, physically. But the calling and the ministry that the Lord will give to us will begin to die. And Paul, no matter how you try to manipulate it or work it out, I've called you to primarily go to the Gentiles, Paul. So now I hear the Grecian Jews are wanting to kill Paul, and so the brethren there in Jerusalem, they take Paul, according to Acts chapter 9, they take him to Caesarea, the seaport city, they put him on a boat to Tarsus. And do you realize that Paul was in Tarsus for about the next 10 years? In obscurity? Not heard of? After three years in the desert, he's now sent to Tarsus out of Israel for another 10 years, where Paul really isn't heard of at all. And I wonder, I just wonder in those 10 years, if Paul ever thought, I don't get it. I care about my countrymen. I would go to hell to reach them. I know all about them. I can relate to them. I can prove to them that you are real, Lord, that you died for their sins on Calvary and you rose again. But all what has happened is this that the Jews want to kill me. And I had to be let down in a large basket at night. And Lord, I am feeling let down in my heart and in my soul. And I don't get it. I don't understand. And I just wonder in those 10 years if any of those thoughts went through Paul's mind. But we all know that God wasn't through with Paul, was he? that the Lord had plans for Paul, just like he had plans for that one who Paul had studied and read about, the one that Paul would look at in the days of old. His name was Moses. You know the story of Moses, don't you? How he lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was raised in Egypt by Pharaoh. He was the adopted son of the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Moses was raised in the palace of Pharaoh, learning the philosophy of Egypt, learning the knowledge of Egypt. Moses had anything that he wanted. I mean, he was really somebody Moses was. He was educated highly. He was exalted greatly. He was next in line to be the ultimate somebody, the next Pharaoh. But after 40 years, he decides to deliver the Jewish people. He wanders out. You see, in Acts chapter 7, we're told by Stephen's testimony that it was at that time, after 40 years of being in, in Pharaoh's palace, that he decides that he's going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt at that time. He, he's going to do that. So he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew. So Moses says, hey, I can take care of this. Leave him those, you know, this guy alone, this Hebrew. So he ends up killing the Egyptian. Moses buries the Egyptian in the sand. And just as the scripture says that be sure your sins will find you out, it was found out what happened. How? We don't know. Maybe somebody saw Moses killing this Egyptian, but somehow it was found out, and news began to spread amongst the children of Israel. And then we know that the next day, the next day, he goes out amongst the Hebrew brethren, and I'm sure that Moses thought that they're going to receive me as a hero is what they're going to do. And he sees two Hebrews that are fighting. And he breaks it up, and he says, hey, don't be fighting with each other. And they turn to him and said, who made you a judge over us? You're just a self-appointed leader. Who, who raised you up to be a judge over us? In other words, mind your own business, Moses, and get out of here. We know what you did. You killed that Egyptian. You're a murderer. And so Moses, 40 years, a big shot, a real somebody, he leaves. 
And I'm sure that as he leaves to the wilderness, that he's wondering what's going on. And what's the deal? This isn't the way it was supposed to work out. And the next 40 years of Moses' life was being a shepherd watching sheep on the backside of the desert. They weren't even his own sheep. They were his father-in-law's sheep in the desert. This big man, I mean, he was the man in Egypt. He was Pharaoh's son. He had whatever he wanted. He had the fame. He had the prestige. He had the power. And now he finds himself in the desert, a shepherd. And he went from a somebody to a nobody. The first 40 years, he learned to be a somebody. The next 40 years, he learned to be a nobody. And it says that finally that Moses was content to dwell there in the desert. Okay, I'll stay here in the desert. I've been here for 40 years. Again, think about what, what Moses must have been thinking, what was in his heart. He didn't know the story like we do. He, he didn't say, well, I'll be content to dwell here because I know that Exodus chapter 3 is coming up soon and then things are really going to start cooking when we get to Exodus chapter 3. It wasn't that way. But 40 years, 40 years out there in the wilderness being a nobody. And then, and then came Exodus chapter 3 where God called Moses to the burning bush and said, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people and now I am choosing you to go to Pharaoh and for you, Moses, to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was the Lord calling him this time. It wasn't Moses saying, I'm the man, and I'm going to do this, and, and you guys stop fighting, and I'll be the judge over him. This time, after 40 years of being in the desert, the Lord calls Moses and says, now you go. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I to go? And Moses, of course, we know the rest of the story would be used big time. As the last 40 years of his life, he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. So the first 40 years, he was a somebody. The next 40 years, learning to be a nobody. And then the last 40 years, learning what God will do when he takes a nobody and he really makes them a somebody in the best sense of the word. Paul knew of Moses. He was versed in Moses. He knew of the afflictions that Moses went through for the Lord. Moses himself had spent time with the Lord there on the mountain of God, receiving the law of God. I think it was the place where Paul would spend most of that three years, I believe, there in Arabia, being taught by the Lord. And Paul's going through his own wilderness experience. And can I say this? So will you. If you desire and are serious about serving Jesus Christ, you know, first we can kind of think that we're somebody and God, then God takes us through our next period to show us that really we're nobody. And then when we finally get it, where Egypt gets out of us, in other words, all the worldly junk, the wanting to be noticed and wanting prestige and wanting to be acknowledged, wanting to be a big shot, wanting to promote ourselves, it's true what you say, Lord, that without you I can do nothing. And once that we see that we really are nobody, once we get it, then the Lord will come to us and he'll truly make us a somebody, as I said, in the best sense of the word. He'll make us useful and give us real purpose for the kingdom of God. You say, well, I don't know about that. We, 
We need to promote ourselves. We need to feel good about ourselves. We need to have self-esteem and all this. You know, folks, I don't know about that, but I do know this, that the Bible tells you and me that we are to die to self, that in my flesh is no good thing, that Jesus did say that without me you can do nothing, and do you realize that nothing in the Greek means nothing? Paul was let down in a basket, sent to Tarsus, where maybe to the world he was in obscurity. What we, he was doing was insignificant. He wasn't in a prominent place. He wasn't doing anything of importance to the world. He was just working behind the scenes. He was learning how to make tents. I mean, he had lost everything. He had to learn a trade. But you see, God was doing an important work in rewiring him so that he would go to the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, after those 10 years, Barnabas comes and gets Paul, and he seeks him out, and he says, hey, there's revival that's broke out in Antioch amongst the Gentiles. And then, as Paul was there teaching them, it was then, it was then that the Holy Spirit said, now separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. It wasn't Paul going out and doing his thing. It was the Holy Spirit this time that called Paul out and said, okay, now you're going to go to the Gentiles. And you know the rest of the story concerning Paul that the world was turned upside down. Paul was used big time. And the fruit of his ministry was still evident and is evident even to this day. This morning as we read his story, Paul, so back to our text here in 2 Corinthians, he says, if I'm going to glory I'm in my infirmities, he says, I was let down in a basket through a window, down a wall at night. And the reason I believe that perhaps Paul is writing about that incident is I'll boast in this thing is because it was such a turning point in Paul's life. Because not only did he get let down in a basket, but perhaps in his heart, and things weren't working out where I didn't get it, and I wanted to do something, but the doors were closed. I went to the desert for three years. I, I was ready to impact the Jews greatly, really lay it on them. I mean, maybe huge revivals and miracle crusades and, and awesome revelations from God, but it didn't turn out that way. They wanted to kill me, and I was let down, and I think Paul was saying to the Corinthians here that it ended up being the, one of the best things that ever happened to me. And I'll boast in this thing, this difficulty, because God used it to bring me to the point that where I would submit to him and trust in him and rest in what he's doing in my life and let him guide me and let him have his way in my life. And the way of the Lord is when one desires to be used, we have a heart for people. We want to use our talents. We, we want to serve the Lord. We want to bring glory and honor to God. And so we desperately want to see things happen. Lord, I know that I can teach people. I can impact the world for you. I know that I can impact this group or, or this city. I, I can be a part of this cutting edge of ministry when it comes to worship or when it comes to, you know, to youth ministry, when it comes to the mission field, whatever. And our intentions are good and we go for it. And suddenly we realize that it's not working out, that this is kind of hard and people aren't responding like I thought they would. And I don't get it. And you end up getting let down. And I think that anyone who's gone into ministry has felt that way. Visions and, and zeal and 
And, and all of this, all of a sudden, it begins to melt away because the difficulties come. Or things don't turn out the way that you think they should or could. We look at somebody like Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck, and the incredible way that God has used him in the Calvary chapels, but we don't realize that Pastor Chuck went through 17 years of ministry where he was pastoring small churches and working full-time in grocery stores. It wasn't easy for him, but the Lord was teaching him, preparing him for the ministry that he had for him in the Calvary Chapel. And the incredible work that he has gone through that man. For 17 years that Pastor Chuck was in the ministry and it was difficult and it was hard, he says, and he worked full-time. Maybe you're here on this last Sunday in June and you're looking at another summer where you feel like I've been let down. Here I am, Lord, with my knowledge and my talents and my desire and use me, Lord, and, and maybe the Lord is saying you need to take some time. You need to take some time. Maybe he's saying to you, you need to take ten. But this morning we don't have to worry or fret. And we don't have to be let down in our hearts. Just let me do what I want to do in you before I work through you. And it will be the best thing that will happen to you. If it takes ten weeks or ten months or, or even ten years, and you can stand on the promise of the Lord to you that he has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, that he will work all things out for good for those who love me, and I will never leave you or forsake you, and now I want to leave you with this. If your heart is at all interested in the Lord, and I know that it is because you're here this morning, listen, time will always prove the Lord to be right, to be the best way. And you will look back and you will say, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me is when the Lord took me to the desert to teach me, to get the junk of the world out of me, to break me, to do a work in me, to cause me to trust totally in Him and to be content where I'm at. I'll boast in that thing. And the brokenness of the Lord has allowed me to go through so I can be truly impacting for Him. That's what the Lord wants to do. And as A.W. Tozer said, that before God uses a man greatly, he's going to break him deeply. But allow him to do that work in you. Don't fret. Don't be let down in your heart. Trust that the Lord's going to get you where he wants you to be. And know that it's going to be the best thing that has happened, a time of growth. You see, what can happen is when people go through a desert experience, they begin to pull away from the Lord. That's the time to press into the Lord and allow the Lord to do incredible work in your life. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for just these verses that Paul brings out. That, and Lord, that as he brings it out and says, I'll boast in this affirmity. And Lord, first of all, we thank you for the affirmity that you went through, the, the, the sufferings that Jesus went through for our sake. Having us in mind to be forgiven and have a hope of heaven. And so, Father, this morning as we consider these things, we also consider the gospel that was brought to the apostle by you and brought to the world and it's brought to us through your word. And it's brought this morning. 
Paul would write that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And Father, I just pray if there's anyone here who has not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, that we want to give you opportunity if you're here in the sanctuary or out in the coffee shop. We pray for you, that you would open up your heart to the Lord if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because you see, you can't save yourself. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We can't stand before God and say, I've been a good person because, because we have sinned. We're guilty, every single one of us. And we've been separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus Christ is our mediator. The Son of God came and died for you on Calvary's cross for all of your sins. And he's provided salvation through the cross of Calvary and through the resurrection as he rose again from the grave three days later. And if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, the promise of scripture is you will be saved. And we want to give you that opportunity because today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Don't wait. Don't put it off. If you're unsure, come to Christ this morning. He loves you. He's provided for you. And He desires for you to become a new creation in Christ. As you open up your heart and surrender, turn away from the world and turn to Jesus right now. And you pray right where you're sitting, Jesus, come into my heart to be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross. And I confess that I am a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And Lord, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for dying for me. I believe you rose again from the grave. I surrender to you fully. Help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if anybody in the sanctuary, if you're out in the coffee shop, you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to raise your hand this morning. Anybody at all come into Christ for salvation? Don't be afraid. Just raise your hand. We do this every opportunity because we want people that are here to make sure that they have opportunity to come to Christ. Anybody at all giving their life to Christ at all this morning? Father, I just pray this morning that as we gather, that as we desire to please you with our lives, the Lord, help us not to be let down when things become dry and difficult in our lives, but actually we would know that it's in those times that we are to draw close to you. Not just distance ourselves from you, but Lord, trust in your love and rest in your love. And know that you're going to do that work and see us through and have them confident that you're going to finish that work that you've begun in us. And Lord, that we belong to you. So Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. And Lord, if any of us feel discouraged or dry spiritually, Lord, knowing that you said, come to me and drink, to be refreshed and renewed. And Lord, to take on the water that you have to give, living water. And Lord, bless your people right now. May we be encouraged if we're going through a time of discouragement or challenge or difficulties. We know that the weather outside is hot and dry, but Lord, in our hearts, we know that you desire to water our hearts with the Holy Spirit. So do that work right now. And Lord, may we leave this place refreshed and encouraged and blessed. Lord, knowing that this week that you desire to continue to minister to us, that again, we can just rest in your love for us and what you're doing in our lives. So provide for us and guide us and direct us 
And Lord, just work through us. And, and Lord, just work in us. So thank you for this time that we've had together. I pray you bless all your people. Lord, help us to just, Lord, as the heat will wear on us physically, that Lord, to, to Lord, just be able to stay out of the heat. I pray that you just minister to your people. And Lord, that we would get relief once again. Again, we ask for moisture. We cry upon you to water our land. And Lord, water our hearts. We do pray for revival in our land, that this would cause us to turn to you and recognize and realize we need you, Lord. We need you as a community. We need you as a state and as a nation to just turn to you, Lord, and trust in you, turn to your ways. So, Lord, I pray that this would be a time where our attention goes to you. And, Lord, that we would be a people that would cry out to you and turn away from, Lord, turn away from wickedness and sin and ignoring you and thinking that we don't need you. We desperately need you. So, Lord, we just present all these things to you in our prayers for you to work mightily in our lives and the lives of the people that are around us that we know and the lives of our community and our state and our nation. Father, thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you please stand?